For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A C3 exclusive. I'd like to welcome Dan Hatman to the C3 Panthers podcast. He's director of scouting and development for the Scouting Academy. Dan, thanks for taking some time to discuss um, some of the I would I would describe as the the harder to pinpoint aspects of the NFL with GMs. Oh, it's. Uh... It's the man behind the curtain, right? <laughs> yeah. Everybody, everyone tries to figure out, uh, you know, what goes into it and what makes a good one and how do you find one and how do you figure out if they're doing a good job and all those kind of questions. So, no, it definitely becomes a difficult one. It's very mysterious, and, and when it, especially for it being so important to the entire process. So I reached out to you because of your work on potential GM candidates that I ran across on Inside the Pylon, and I also have read parts of your master's thesis, and I got to say I'm jealous that uh, because I don't think anyone but my mother has read my master's thesis. <laughs> fair, fair enough I, I would say that the topic here certainly lends itself to a, a slightly broader audience than most <laughs> yeah uh wig, the diffusion of wig ideals in revolutionary america is not usually the uh the topic people are googling all day but uh let's <laughs> I, i'm talking about this is look the recent struggles in carolina with ron rivera Oh, Ron Rivera has come under tremendous fire and we kind of have a bizarre situation with our front office where the general manager has now been twice been with the team twice uh, for a decade in the two, 2000s then fired where we brought in Dave Gettleman and then he's fired again Dave Gettleman's fired and then we rehire Marty Herney and this is all complicated by the fact that we have a a new owner um, in David Tepper so when I was reading your article, you said that the cycles for hiring GMs are shifting and they are becoming earlier. Uh, do you think that if the Panthers are considering a coaching change, that this really means rethinking the front office entirely? And when does that process really start if it is shifting to earlier? The, the trick to this whole thing is that ownership piece of it you know obviously when we kind of observe football from the outside we usually get to that gm spot and we we stop there and we discuss it a lot and i want to on the on the call here today but ultimately that guy is hired by the owner right and so that's the the linchpin of this whole thing when when do they feel like they are ready for a change what might they be looking for typically we find that existing ownership, if they're going to make a move there, 
tend to go what I call like a 180 move from there. So if you brought in someone with a certain background and pedigree and it doesn't work out, you usually don't double down and do that again, right? right? As human beings, we usually go in a different direction. Okay, well, that didn't work. So let's go and use this set of parameters and this set of values to go look for a candidate. The interesting piece here is a brand new owner, right? So he has no, there's no objective evidence of what he'll do. We can try to look at kind of Pittsburgh and say, okay, we'll use Pittsburgh as a model, you know, understands that family, been a part of ownership groups. Um, you know, that's where my understanding is David's been with formative years. But at the same time, we had that in going into Cleveland. You know, so when they got a new ownership group came in, when ha Jimmy Haslam bought that team, he had been a part of the Pittsburgh ownership group. And so the assumption was maybe he'll go with a Pittsburgh style model and, you know, they'll hire someone and those guys will be there for 12 years. Well, Jimmy's in like his fifth regime since he's on the team. Right. So I have no idea what someone like David Tepper is going to do. Um, if the Jason Lock and Fuller report recently um, is, has merit, then we could be looking at uh, a total teardown San Francisco style a couple years ago when they're like, okay, we're going to go, we're going to hire our GM fresh, our head coach fresh. We're going to marry those two people at the hip. They'll come in together. They'll leave together. It's up to them to figure it out. And personally, if you're going to go down this path, right? So if uh, David Tepper gets to the point where he says, you know what? I want to bring in someone to lead my football operations that I have personally hired. I have vetted. They're my person. Um, I believe in them. Then if you're going to go down that path, whenever you bring a new personnel person on board, other than Dave Gettleman, there is no track record of the existing head coach making it even a calendar year. Even in Green Bay, where Brian Gutekunst was an internal promotion to general manager, Mike McCarthy didn't make it a calendar year as their head coach. So if David Tepper is going to go down the path and he says, I want my GM, then I would recommend get your GM and your coach Either you can say, listen, I'm not going to mandate you keep Ron. You can interview others, consider if you choose to keep Ron, then at least that's your your choice as the GM. I'm not going to force it upon you. Like it sounded like Hugh Jackson was forced upon John Dorsey last right, year. Right. And that model of tying the two together, as Lewis Riddick, Lewis Riddick says, bring them in together, kick them out together. I think it decreases that infighting. We saw this with Howie Roseman and Chip Kelly not that many years ago, and then it was Trent Baalke and Jim Harbaugh. We've seen this stuff, and not, and not in Carolina, but we've seen this stuff in other places where a head coach and a general manager start to fight. They start to position for power. They become the save-your-ass mentality, and it's not good for the team, right? You have the, those two individuals in competing camps as opposed to being on the same page. You're not going to get past that. So, again, I'd go back to if you're going to make the move, at GM, I think you have to make the move at head coach and at least allow the general manager to pick their person, even if it is Ron Rivera, allow them to pick their person, but marry them together. You guys are now together. You're a pair. And if we ever have to fire one, we're firing both. Yeah. So I you two better be best friends and make this thing work. I agree. I think that the conversation has been too focused on Ron Rivera leaving when if, if that, if Ron Rivera was to leave, I truly believe that means 
that it's time to rebuild completely the front office instead of trying to marry them, like you said, with Dave Gettleman. And we really don't know how much on the same page both of those guys were the entire time because Rivera had just enough success that you know Dave Gettleman felt obligated to keep him. So when we look at those choices to be made, potentially, and if you do decide that it's time to move on from Ron Rivera and let's then take the let's just assume that that means we're going to go GM. Um, do you do you feel that an owner at this point is going to um, feel more obligated to target a coach? first in a way and because we all hear that good coaches are so hard to find so hard to find and you got to jump on them or do you think that gms good gms are so hard to find that you really need to target a guy a gm that has a vision to do what the team and then let him go get the coach or is it just kind of, or how do you make that happen truly well i think this comes down to who's advising the owner very rarely uh, do I hear ownership groups or owners individually attacking the process by themselves? Right. They usually have uh, counselors in it. Maybe it's a team president. I know when like, Chicago went through their, their last general manager search that ended in uh, Ryan Pace getting the job, Ted Phillips, their president, was heavily involved. We don't know what that's like in Carolina, right? Danny Morrison's not there. Tina Becker's not there. So, you know, is David Tepper going to hire someone that's going to be the president of the team. Uh, well, he did just hire, background? he did hire a president recently in the past, maybe four months. And it was a guy who uh, was like president of Arsenal before or something to that effect. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, it was like, it, it, it seems that he was brought in mostly for having a good vision of how to brand the team and how to make that from the business logistics side, not necessarily with a tremendous amount of football background. So I'll take the position then in the, that let's say that person has um, doesn't have a, a strong American football background, and as such, they're not going to be an advisor on this, then who is David Tepper talking to? What other owners has he befriended along the way? What counsel is he receiving from them? Is he calling to a... NFL career advisory panel and using the Bernie Accorsi's and Charlie Casserly's and people of that uh, clout, Bill Polian's of the world that have been advising some of these candidacies in the past few years. Is he calling a group like Corn Ferry, um, who's been doing this work on the outside? What agents, uh, you know, have any influence in this stuff? That advisory, that that influx of information to me becomes critical because once that GM or I'm sorry, that owner gets hyper focused on an individual, you know, it's their decision. Like I want to get this person and, and to your question, if it's a coach, then you see the process change and right. you'll see, you know, an ownership group, they'll start doing what they call, you know, um, we're going to run both searches simultaneously. We're going to run a head coach search and a GM search. And then we've seen those kind of things go through. And then the GM search finishes like a day or two earlier. That person's named and then they supposedly have some say in, but it's owner, already been determined. if the owner comes in and says, hey, we really like this head coach. Do you think you can work with him? Most GM candidates, if they want that job, are going to yeah, no, I can't work with him. He stinks. I got to bring in my own guy because it might deflate your own candidacy, kind of become self-fulfilling. 
in that way. So again, I go back to the, the, the biggest mystery from where I sit is who is David Tepper listening to in terms of what a successful franchise can and should be? And is it adopting a previous model? Is he just going to be reactionary and following some other team's lead? Or is he going to say, I want to put together a franchise that differentiates itself from the rest of the league? We're not going to chase anybody else's tail. We're going to go be a leader in this space, in which case the sky's the limit. To me, that is really hits on what I want to see happen. And I don't know if, if there's going to be changes made, and I'm not necessarily calling for changes to be made. But I do think it's important to have a vision of where you want to go and how you want to attack it rather than just haphazardly reacting. And so we'll be back with Dan after a quick break. If David Tepper was talking to you, how would you pursue it? And let's just assume that this was going, we're going to revamp everything. How would you advise him to target whether a GM or a coach, because I've looked at the list and I got to say is that it seems like if, if hard, if coaches, good coaches are hard to find, it seems like good GMs are even harder to find and people are scared to really go after it and try a new guy. We, you got an offensive coordinator in Carolina and North Turner and been many, many places and been successful as an offensive coordinator. His head coaching stops have not always follow the same level of success. And then the narrative becomes, well, maybe there are people that are just good coordinators and not necessarily good head coaches. Well, if that logic goes, then it stands to reason that there are people that are good scouts, meaning they can sit in a room, watch film, go conduct character and background assessments, collect the relevant information, present the player, and recommend them in a valuable spot to be selected, whether it's a free agency move or a draft move or what have you, they'd be good scouts that don't necessarily make good GMs because the job of a GM is no longer just scouting players. In fact, most of the scouting is done by others. Most GMs don't get to sit in a room in isolation and just grind film. Most of them have to deal with copious amounts of other things that come across their desk and delegate scouting work to trusted lieutenants. So to me, the GM position is about decision-making. It's about personnel selection, not just the players, but do you know how to pick a doctor? Do you know how to pick a trainer? Do you know how to pick a coach? Do you know how to pick a scout? Then do you know how to pick them? Do you know how to develop them? Do you know how to get the most out of them? Do you know how to build a culture where they trust each other, where you can get good information, where you're open to new ideas, pushing boundaries? And we've seen people that were held up as excellent scouts not be good GMs. And then watch other people that no one really knew what was going to happen all of a sudden kind of get their shot. And they were good GMs because they have those requisite skill sets. So to me, I think football operations, which includes your scouting department, but a few other verticals, you got to hire that person first. So typically I would recommend go GM first because they're going to see a lot, oversee a lot of things. And then again, um, like San Francisco did, I'd be recommending Allow that person to pick their coach, all right? So it's not forced upon them. If you're going to hire someone to run all personnel, allow them to run all personnel. And then, but tell those people, you don't get multiple coaches. You're not going to sit here. We're going to be on our third coach. You're going to keep throwing guys under the bus, trying to save yourself, saying, oh, it's their fault. You pick them. That's your coach. You ride or die with them. 
it really gives you a good uh, model. I, I feel like that's a stable model is where everybody kind of knows their role, knows their lane. Uh, you guys are in it together and you got to work together. And I, I, I continue to wonder in some cases just how much uh, Ron Rivera, like how much coaches go into the scouting process. Because as when I was reading your, uh, your thesis is that you said that um, – it, it tends to be, or maybe this was in the article. I got to figure out which one it was, but the, that guys who scout pro players don't necessarily make good GMs because they look at uh, the, at least the draft process. Some, some, sometimes too much from not what, how a, a college player can come, become a pro, but basically what pros do right now. And they're going to get locked in. And I was thinking, this is what Dave Gettleman probably did is Dave Gettleman was dealing with pro player personnel and you know that was a big problem for him so I just wondered too how much do you think that the the coaching staff and the head coach influences you know draft selection because I just feel like the Panthers have missed entirely on the draft for the last three years we've got some good players like Christian McCaffrey uh the last draft with Marty Herney is very good but if you look at the hit rate for the Carolina Panthers it was very poor is that uh all on Dave Gettleman is that a combination of Dave Gettleman and Rivera or does it say something about the lack of continuity potentially between the two well the the piece that you're referring to was in last year's study and it was on, because uh, I, I ironically have a pro scouting background, right? So I'm biased in that I personally have met people on the pro side that I do think would be good GMs. Um, I don't think it, you know, that background keeps you from being successful, just like I don't think a college scouting background mandates that you'd be successful. But it seems like ownership groups are way more excited about people that were college directors or ran that shop because we all know that. You build teams through the draft, right? You can supplement them in many other ways, but the core of your team is going to be built through the draft. Um, the, when it comes to the selection piece, again, I've been with three different NFL teams. I've seen it work a few different ways. I've seen it work where the GM really had strong authority to set the table. These are the players. These are the players we're targeting. Um, would get coaches feedback but it seemed like it was more for let's get the coach comfortable with the guys that we're interested in through the process more so than asking for them to set their priority list. I've been in other places where the scout's job was to determine who was draftable. Then the coaches came in, they would work their position groups. Uh, they would do the workout process, the interview process, what have you. And then they would present a stacking. Here's the guys we prefer. And that would get influence into it. Ultimately, I've seen positives and negatives with both. If you keep your coaches out of the process and you force players onto them that are not good fits, even up to and including personality fits, they can have disastrous results, right? You force a coach to work with a player and maybe they don't like, they don't fit in his scheme. They don't fit those techniques. They don't fit personality wise, what have you you might not see that player develop well under that coach because they don't get along. Vice versa. If you allow the coaches to dictate everything, they might take players that maybe have really high floors, really stable technical profiles, who don't need a ton of fundamental coaching. Right? They're not going to be a, a big burden on that side. Guys that you can plug in and play, do wrinkles on a week-to-week -week basis, but maybe don't have that high-end athletic upside. 
the two places have to work together. And that's the, the brutal challenge of it all. You take scouting, you take coaching. Again, you take your medical, your weight training staff, your video staff, your data staff. You have 150 people a week all putting in 12 plus hours a day to get a team to game day. That's a lot of people, a lot of personalities, has the contracts rise, a lot of ego. And the person sitting atop of that organization has to control 150 people's focus to one goal, which is unbelievably challenging. Um, and why when we try to peel back the layers and look at candidates, because I know we're going to talk about candidates, it's so hard to determine because you're asking about the head coach and GM. And even on that level, we're trying to figure out if you can assign blame to one or the other. Right. I don't think you can, right? Because when the information comes in, let's take Christian McCaffrey, right? Top draft pick. There is no way he had one report in the system on him, right? It wasn't just Dave Gettleman watched him, Dave Gettleman drafted him. That player was watched by the area scout. He was watched by the West Coast cross checker. He was watched by the college director. He was watched by the GM. He was watched by the head coach, the offensive coordinator, the running backs coach, probably watched by the special teams coach, maybe even a positional cross-checker on the scouting side. He probably had 10 evaluations, you know, interviewed him at the combine, interviewed him um, at a pro day, top 30 visits, and then the whole gamut of information, the number of people in your organization that touch upon that prospect to determine is this player worth a top 10 draft pick is exponential. And so that draft pick, to me, gets assigned to everybody. Sure. Because right? everybody touched upon it. Um, it was not a one-person thing. The ones that are ironically easier to address are usually your sixth, seventh rounders or undrafted free agents, because many times it's only your regional scout. So if you hit on a kid that's undrafted out of, you know, the Midwest, okay, Andrew then Norwell. chances are either your Midwest scout or your offensive line cross-checker, in this case it was John Peterson, in addition to their Midwest scout, Midwest scout in Carolina that identified Norwell, right? So those guys came together. It was two looks that really stood on the table and said, hey, we need to consider this guy afterwards. And it worked out really, really well. It's way easier for me to give credit to those two guys for standing on the table than it is for me on Christian McCaffrey because, like I said, I can find probably 10, 12 people involved in deciding on Christian. Stick around after this quick break for more with Dan Hatman the Director of Scouting Development from the Scouting Academy. Yeah, I think the reason I asked the question potentially is that uh, because one of my, I guess, uh, hesitance or criticisms of Ron Rivera might be is that I've questioned sometimes his ability to know when to put the younger player in over the old hat. And I And when I look at some of the draft or the players that aren't on the team anymore, I just wonder if that is an indication that you know maybe his strength isn't in the evaluation process of a player, and maybe that's just kind of been part of the 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 overall component as well. Now we just had Dave Gettleman, who we loved initially, and boy, he's great for the sound bites. What a great personality he has! An old football hat. And he continued to talk about sustained success, uh, that we're not going to go out there and try to win this year, but we're trying to build a model for the long term. And in your thesis, the National Football League general managers and analysis of the responsibilities, qualifications and characteristics, you wrote this when 
when and how to use the salary caps flexibility can of course make or break a club for several years atlanta falcons president mitch rich mckay explained that if you decide to become one of those teams that's so-called excellent at manipulating the cap you are building yourself a window that gets smaller and smaller as you continue to manipulate but if you are disciplined about the cap and make hard choices i think you can keep winning so my question is this is that since the salary cap has become so important since i guess the 90s now and into the 2000s which model wins well one of the interesting things since uh we did that research that was back in i think it was published in 2012 is we've seen unbelievable growth of the salary cap the last couple tv contracts have been just massive the additional revenue streams are growing you know, up to that publishing, we were looking at teams like Dallas and New Orleans that were constantly having to add additional years just to move the accounting numbers, right? Just to make the balance sheet work out at the end of the day. We don't see that anymore. Now we see teams with $60 million in cap space able to go into the market. And most teams are working with 10 or, you know, 10, 12, $15 million extra that they can roll over to give themselves a cushion through the season and then roll it into the next year to give them flexibility. So I'd argue because of that, the decision-making process as it comes to the financial side, which is usually on the pro side, you know, those are existing players, past rookie contracts. Do we give them big money or not? I think it's getting easier. I think it's because you don't have to be quite as disciplined. Uh, you can miss, and there's some forgiveness where there didn't used to be. The rookie wage scale that came in in 2011 certainly changed the way those numbers get onboarded and decreased some of the growth of the market. Right? You didn't have a rookie like Sam Bradford resetting the market. Now it needs to be a veteran like Aaron Rodgers resetting the market. And then as you compare people, well, you know, now it's are you close to Aaron Rodgers? Well, no, then your money's lower where it used to be. Well, Sam Bradford's making the most money. He's never thrown a pass yet. I'm better than him. I want more money than that. So we've seen a little bit of decline on that side. I think the the actual cap management is easier. What gets harder is does your owner give you cash on a year-to-year basis to do things? There is an argument. I don't know how, you know, I don't know all the sides of it, but there was an argument that part of Khalil Mack deal in Oakland was they didn't have necessarily the cash budget to do his signing bonus. Would that be the escrow? Is that that all the money they have to drop in the escrow account? Correct. Okay. So, well, the good news about that is we have an 11 billionaire as an owner. (laughs) There should be no issues on the cash budget (laughs) in the foreseeable future. (laughs) I don't think that's going to be a problem. I just like to say 11 billionaire because uh, it's so absurd of how much he has. Now, I do think that some things is that, like you said, he's such an unknown because uh, especially from the world and the the rate of success that he's had, uh, it's a high pressure situation. And I assume that David Tepper has not gotten as far as he's gotten without surrounding himself with the best of the best in his field. So you got to wonder how that attitude is going to influence his direction going forward. And um, I want I want to say this is or ask you. Do you think there are any good candidates out there for GM right now that would fit with 
what we just assume is about his personality, uh, and that is the kind of Wolf of Wall Street type. Well, maybe that's not the good example, but the the idea of this is that we need to be the best of the best at our job because I feel like Tepper probably places that burden on himself when he's managing that amount of money and there's not a lot is that I want the best guys. So who are the best guys to go at? The name that we that was on your list last year that I think that said the guys on everyone's list that no one thinks will move, it's a year removed. Nick Casario is the guy that some people uh, among the circles that I just discussed with have just been interested in because of the way he talks about doing the draft. So we're just using anecdotal evidence. But who who is the best of the best right now, potentially? Well, it's hard because, you know, I don't have a personal relationship with all the candidates to say, you know, with conviction that, that one's uh, superior to the other. So I, like most people, have to look at, you know, the team's win-loss record, their draft record, what the organization says about things that are progressive. You know, um, we're in a place now where data and technology is ever-growing, can be really helpful and impactful, not to make decisions, but to aid in making decisions. So, you know, the last couple of years, two really exciting candidates for a lot of people have been the two co-directors of player personnel in Seattle, Scott Fitter and Trent Kirchner. Um, the late now Paul Allen, may rest in peace, uh, you know, grew up in the Microsoft thing. So there's plenty of technology and data being used. Uh, Seattle's been a consistent competitor since that front office came together. Uh, those individuals have been core to that. Uh, we've seen that organization that was supposed to have a, a down year this year, according to pundits, uh, still remaining very competitive. Uh, so those guys are going to be high on most people's list. Uh, Minnesota, again, been competitive the last number of years. They've uh, done well in the draft, certainly, especially with their high picks, particularly on defense, consistently panning out is a great tip of the cap. Uh, no, that organization's made a move into being more, um, you know, uh, heavily leveraging some data and some metrics to help them uh, decide what they want to do. So George Payton, their vice president of player personnel, along with Jamal Stevenson, their college director, are going to be interesting. Uh, you mentioned Casario. I'm still not of the belief that anybody's going to get him out of there. I think his relationship <laughs> with Robert Kraft um, is critical, much like Josh McDaniels last year thought he was going to leave and then, you know, I guess sits down with Kraft and decides to stay. Uh, I assume Robert Kraft is not ignorant of the fact that Bill Belichick cannot possibly coach forever. And so maybe they have some long-term plans there for what's going to happen like um, Eric DaCosta in Baltimore, who's taking over for Ozzie Newsom, right? Eric was always on the top of this list. Now they finally activated their transition plan. Eric will be taking over after the conclusion of the season as a top decision maker. So my guess is my gut tells me that Nick Casario has something like that in place. Ever since 2014, when he interviewed with Miami, he hasn't taken another interview since. So I, I think there may be some, some conversations there about his long-term um, future in those areas. So those are the guys that are you know, when I talk about the, the Kirchners, the Fitters, you talk about, again, uh, George Payton, Jamal Stevenson. Those are the guys that are known and may touch upon, um, again, more of the progressive side. You know, a couple of the guys that I actually have a relationship with that on the football side uh, have always impressed me are the Lewis Riddicks and Terry McDonough's of the world, um, just from what I've learned from them on the football side. And, you know, the list, and actually I'm going to publish this year's research on Monday 
Um, you know, the list has has 20 names on it in these different these different groups. Uh, people that have been heavily in the interview circuit, people that are just getting on it, people that may be getting on it, um, former GMs who might be earning another shot, like Jeff Ireland in New Orleans or Brian Zanders with the Rams. Uh, Zanders is known as a football operations systems expert, built a lot of the scouting systems and, and data and technology in Denver, did a lot of that work in Detroit before going and helping the Rams do the same thing. Um, he might be really exciting to someone like Tepper. So again, because he's such an unknown at the top of the organization, I'd probably end up having to rattle off 10, 12 names to try to cover all the bases. Yeah. Um, Isn't Dan Morgan, former Panther, involved in that front office in Seattle? He moved this year to Buffalo. Okay. Okay. To be there, uh, the director of player personnel up there. But yes, he was the pro director in Seattle um, at least the last six or seven years. Now, if, and I think Dan will absolutely be on the circuit not too long. Typically, the way this stuff goes is the guys that have been on the circuit, um, you know, they weed through those names for two or three years before kind of the next group gets to jump on. But uh, with his history playing, his history in Seattle, and if, if Buffalo uh, turns around, uh, my guess is we'll see Dan getting some interview shots here in, in the next few years. Super interesting. If you uh, were David Tepper and you were and you were you know, kind of feeling this out right now. And that's kind of what I assume that really that Jason Lock and Four report is really about is that he's probably, if, if there is real teeth to that, that it's more just feeling out among, like you said, those people who he's listening to about how to maybe approach this going forward. Do you think that he's going to make his decision sooner than later in his head, not announce it, but that is, I mean, we're going into Cleveland. We're on a four game streak. Maybe if you are going to turn the page, don't you need to do it with some decisiveness early so you can get ahead of this? I would think so. And again, you talked about you know eleven billionaire. He's he's made some he's made some critical decisions in the past uh, that have been impactful. So I, I would hope that his you know decisiveness is not going to be an issue on this. Yes, I imagine these guys do six, eight, ten weeks worth of legwork usually before the announcement comes, kind of behind the scenes you know, poking a product things, maybe even, you know, whispering to some agents out there, hey, if we were to do something, would your guy be interested type stuff? You, know, you hear all those kind of rumors every year on how the process is, is unfolding again behind the curtain on this. But, you know, you, we talked about it before when I mentioned, you know, John Dorsey in Cleveland or Brian Gutekunst in Green Bay. You know, GMs want to have their own guy. I, I don't see any difference in the ownership group, right? The last ownership group move we saw up in Buffalo, the Pagulas uh, allowed Doug Whaley basically a season. Actually, he got to work through uh, a draft process. And then right after the draft, they released the whole staff, brought Brandon Bean in and let him have free reign on building his staff from scratch. That may be a model um, that Tepper looks at and says, you know, Instead of hiring a GM in January and saying, oh, yeah, by the way, build your whole staff, scout this whole draft class, prep for free agency, build this team the right way all in the next four months. The, in Buffalo, they let Brandon Bean come in after the draft and have in a full cycle all summer to build your staff, slowly, methodically getting ready for the season, put all your people in the field during the season, doing the things they usually do collect your information, and then ready to roll in the offseason 
with your team build, your first team build with months and months and months of prep time, as opposed to, hey, you got about four or six weeks, figure it out. So that would lend to maybe Ron Rivera staying if that was the case, if that was the strategy to go forward. Well, in Buffalo, obviously they hired Sean McDermott right, you know, in that period of time. Um, my understanding is that might have been uh, the, you know, the owner's discretion or what have you. And then they ended up kind of reverse engineering it where they paired jam candidate that had a relationship with the head coach so the two could be married together and move forward. Man, tremendous, tremendous. All right, Dan, I've, I've taken enough of your time. Thank you so much for joining the C3 Panthers podcast. And if, just can you give us a brief uh, just description of what the Scouting Academy fully is? So, yeah, we are an online uh, educational tool for people that want to learn how to evaluate players. It started from the the idea that uh, for myself and, and many like me that got into the business, uh, we got in because we befriended the right person and got our chance, but not because we had a massive history of doing it successfully. So what we wanted to set out to do was let's let people learn about this business, work on it, build their skill set, decide if they like it, figure out if they're good at it. And then if you check those boxes, let's get you out in the field and doing this at a really high level and really advancing uh, their careers. So our program's online and I've been uh, very excited and, and proud of what our alumni have accomplished. 29 have gone on to NFL opportunities, over 100 in college. The numbers are growing in the CFL, the Arena League, the Alliance of American Football, all these places where uh, evaluators are needed. We're seeing our alums go out and earn their spot in the world. Very exciting. That is tremendous. What a great you know, that that's awesome. I know that this is that everybody who's listening is going to be like, I'm going to apply because, <laughs> <Right? laughs> boy, we all know how to manage an organization from behind our computers. But that's great that you guys are, are really developing that as a skill set. Dan, thanks a ton for being part of the C3 Panthers podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Look forward to doing it soon. All right, man. We'll get back with you if we make some changes. That's for sure. Well, please do. All right, man. You have a great one, dude. Thanks a lot again for your time. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.